How you guys doing? Doing okay? Hey, listen, if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the book of Luke as we look at the as we look at the first Easter. Luke chapter 24, verse 19 is where we're going to be this morning, and it's where our text is. And, and so while you're turning there or clicking what, whatever way that you use to get God's Word, whether it's old school way with a Bible or if it's, if it's your phone or iPad or tablet, whatever way you use, um, if you would follow along with me, that's what we do every week at Fellowship of Rockies. Luke chapter 24, verse 19. We'll talk to you about the issue of, uh, well, the sermon series that we've been, been in is overcome. When we're overcome with circumstances or overcome with issues. And today we're going to look at this issue of when the answer is right in front of you. And so I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to give you an illustration right out of my life. And, and uh, I know when I give this, the younger generation is like going to make fun of me. And a lot of them are right over here. Uh, it was my honor to worship with them. I just love their passion and the way in which that they worship Him. And so I enjoyed worshiping with them this morning. But it was Wednesday night, and I was working late, and so was Pastor Dwayne. And so as Pastor Dwayne was finishing up, he was leaving the office, and he noticed the light on in my office. So he stopped by my office, and he said, hey, he said, I'm, I'm like really hungry. Uh, would you like to go out to dinner together? And you see, both of our wives were busy. Uh, his wife, Summer, was leading a ladies' life group, and then my wife was in worship team rehearsal. And so uh, without them, we were like going to starve to death. And so, uh, so I said, sure. And so we went to a restaurant, and we sat kind of off to the side in the back, and it was dimly lit. You know, it was one of those restaurants. And so uh, then our bill came, and neither one of us could, like, read the bill. Neither one of us could figure out. We couldn't even see how much we owed and how much uh, we had to pay. And so as a result of that, we really kind of struggled through the evening. And so Pastor Dwayne goes home, and he texted me and said, hey, I found the perfect app for us. It's called po- Pocket Eyes, and I'm about ready to save you $4.99. And so we bought this app, and, and actually, uh, anyway, we bought this app for $4.99 to where you use it with your phone, and, and you, you take your phone out, and you put it on your receipt, you put it on text, and then it allows you to make the text larger so you can read it. And I know. And so I was so proud of it, I, I went home and bought my wife that same app. So now I bought two of them, and then I bought one for the car, one for the office in case I lose one. No. And, and so this morning, and I was talking to our worship leader, Chad Fletcher, and so I told him about that, and he's like, hey, you didn't know you can use your phone, your, your camera for that? I'm like, What? He goes, yeah, you just spent like $4.99 for the same thing that your camera can do. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. He goes, no. And so it, I'm so embarrassed. He, <laughs> and so sometimes, isn't it frustrating that when the answer is right in front of you and you cannot see it? When the answer is right in front of you and you cannot see it, maybe it's because of your your circumstances, or maybe because of the situations that you're walking through in life. See, the disciples found themselves in the same position at the same place in their life. The crucifixion had happened on Friday night, and, and, and now it's the first Easter morning, and, and, and people have never still gotten over the events and the things that took place on Friday when Jesus Christ was crucified. You see, darkness fell, and his friends had scattered, and, and hope seemed to be lost, but, but heaven, heaven was counting to three. And for three years, Jesus Christ had walked this earth and he had walked with his disciples. 
And every day he devoted days to teaching and, and, and miracles and healing and touching people with love and reaching out to people who were far away from him. But now on Friday night, Jesus Christ has been crucified. And those closest to him, some of his closest friends, even though Jesus tried to prepare them for the events that would take place, they were confused. And they were, they were like overwhelmed. And now in the Christian community, the Christian community was talking about Friday and things that took place. And then the first Easter morning, the tomb is empty. And the guards are gone and the stone has been rolled away. And word is spreading through the Christian, the Christian community and they're trying to get their heads around this. They're trying to make sense of this. And there were two guys, two guys that we're going to look at. And all of a sudden they were so overwhelmed, even though the answer was right in front of them, they were so overwhelmed that they began to walk to a place called Emmaus. And Emmaus wasn't any easy journey. It was seven miles away. And when you look at these guys, you realize that, you know what, the answer was right in front of them. And they're walking away from the answer. They're walking away from the, they're, they're trying to escape the circumstances. And so as they're walking to Emmaus, Jesus joins them in the conversation. And they don't know at the point that that was Jesus. And he simply asks them a question about, what are you two guys talking about? And they're like, talking about? You don't know what we're talking about? Everybody in Jerusalem knows what's taken place in Luke chapter 24, verse 19. Here's what, here's, here's what the scripture says. It says, and so, and he said to them, speaking of Jesus, he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But, here it is, but we had hoped. In other words, they had lost hope. Sometimes that's what happens in overwhelming circumstances. That's what happens when we cannot see the answer when it's right in front of us. Is because all of a sudden they had lost hope. And he was the one with lost hope that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. And moreover, some women from our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels and the angel said he's he's alive and some of those who were with us speaking of Simon Peter and John went to the tomb and they found it just as the the women had said but they did not see him and so Jesus verse 25 Jesus tells them oh foolish ones ones are slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? When you look at that phrase, when you look at those words that they said, they said, uh, we had hoped. You see, their hope was placed in a set of circumstances. Their hope was placed in, in a result. And as because of that, the crucifixion of Christ must have, must have appeared to be the end for them. And Jesus just simply doesn't condemn them. Jesus just simply looks at them and says, oh, oh, little ones. You're so slow of heart to believe. But see, Jesus didn't, didn't stop there. And Jesus spends the remainder of the trip walking and talking with them and using scriptures to help them understand that the cross was a planned event, that the cross was no accident. And he began to give them evidence of, of the Messiah and why the Messiah had to, had to suffer for the forgiveness of their sins. Verse 27, as we just continue through this wonderful story, 
And Jesus says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures. So he opened up the Old Testament scrolls for them and the things concerning himself. And so nobody knows what, what chapter and verse that Jesus used, but he probably took them to the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah had, was written hundreds and hundreds of years before the life of Christ. It predicted and it told of all the events that Jesus would be born and the death that he would suffer for the forgiveness of, of sins for us. And so maybe Jesus is looking at you this Easter, and maybe he is saying, Oh, slow of heart to believe. When the evidence, when the evidence is just so clear, when the answer is right in front of you, that through prophecy and through through historical evidence and eyewitness accounts and, and through the changed lives, when the answer is just, just right in front of you. And in verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he, Jesus, acted as if he were going farther. In other words, I, I just want you to see this. You realize Jesus won't force himself on you. It is your choice. These men had to make a choice. They had to make a choice to invite him in. But he's not going to force you, himself on you. He didn't force himself on them. Verse 29, but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. For it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And so these men invited him in, and when they invited him in, he came. And, Jesus, and for some reason, they were just drawn to him. Verse 30, when he, Jesus, was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. You see in Scripture that every time that Jesus had a meal, that he took time to, to pray and thank God for the provision. It's interesting to me when you look at this story, Jesus went into this home and Jesus was a guest in their home, but he acts like the host. I mean, Jesus is the one that takes breath. He's the one that says the blessing, and in their tradition, it was always head of household that would say the blessing. He's the one that broke bread, and he's the one that passed it out. You know what, you know what that tells me? Jesus does not want to be a guest in your home. Jesus wants to be head of household. Jesus wants to be Lord of all. I don't know if you're like Karen and I, and Karen's my wife, but when we have overnight guests or when we have friends in our home, we usually tell them just about the same thing. And we want them to feel as comfortable as, as possible. We, wanna, we want them to feel like our home is their home. And so usually we'll begin telling them some, telling them some things like, here's the refrigerator, here's the TV, here's the remote. Um, you know, help yourself to the refrigerator if you get hungry, if you get thirsty. And then we'll say some things like, like, our home is your home. But you know what? We really don't mean that. <laughs> I mean, honestly, there's some closets and there's some drawers that we don't want them rummaging through. I mean, if I get up the next morning and they're going through my checkbook, I think I'd be upset. I mean, if I get up the next morning and they didn't like because our home is... Is, is your home is our home, and they didn't like how we arranged the, the furniture or pictures that we had on the wall, and they started rearranging the place, I think I'd be upset. And a lot of times we say, Jesus, we want you to be Lord of all, and we want you to come into our life, and we want you to come into our home. But deep, deep down, we really don't mean that. There's certain areas of our life, there's certain areas that we want to keep protected. I mean, we don't want him to change some things about us. We don't want him to change, it, change how we spend our money and how we spend our time, how we spend our, pro, our, 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 our recreational time or, hot, or anything like that. And so Jesus said in verse 31, 
Why this is so in, interesting, the story. And all of a sudden, their eyes were open. That's the two men. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Why suddenly, all at once, they recognized that it was Jesus? See, this is over the years. Theologians have debated this. And they've asked the question, that, 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 that why now? How, what did they see? What happened? Uh, was it the way in which he prayed? Was it the way in which he talked? Was it, was it a look? Was it his eyes? How did they rec- How were their eyes open? How did they know? It was a personal opinion. This is my personal opinion. But here's the moment that I think they knew. Scripture says this. Jesus broke bread and he held out his arms and he said, here, this is for you. And when he extended his arms and his palms and his wrist was exposed, they saw fresh wounds. They saw the wounds that nine-inch spikes had made in his hands on Friday night. And then they looked into his eyes, and it was like he said with his eyes, I am. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, no man comes to the Father except through me. And then all of a sudden the scripture says he just like vanished. Verse verse 32. And so the two men said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened while he opened to us the scriptures? Have you ever experienced that in your life? Maybe it was a worship service. Maybe it was when, when someone opened up the Bible and they opened up the Scriptures and they explained the Scriptures to you. It was like your soul was laid bare. It was like, it was like there's something different about this. It's like they know me. It's like they've been following me around. And then these two men, after Jesus had vanished, all of a sudden they're like having this conversation. We should have known it was Him. Jesus is alive. They realized it. Verse 33 And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. Why? Why did they go back to Jerusalem? I mean, it was a seven-mile walk. It was dark. It was dangerous. It was risky. The reason that they went back to Jerusalem is, listen, when you're really joyful about something, you want to share that joy with someone else that understands that joy, right? I mean, I never will forget a couple of years or a few years ago when, when the Broncos won back-to-back Super Bowls. Remember that? I mean, it's like Bronco mania. I mean, there's blue and orange everywhere. People are celebrating. Flags on their cars, flags in the front yard. And I never forget, after every Super Bowl win, nobody called me. One is because they know I'm a Cowboy fan. Who wants to celebrate with a Cowboy fan when you're a Bronco fan, right? So nobody called me. And Well, the other thing is I turned my phone off. But these men, they raced back to Jerusalem. Verse 34, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Listen, they come back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples what they had experienced. 
But before they could, the disciples were encouraging them. Listen, this is a picture of church. This is a period, uh, the picture of church when we encourage one another and, and love one another. We accept one another. And so all of a sudden they come back and they say, you're not going to believe this. We, Simon Peter saw the Lord. Simon Peter saw, and they're, you're not going to believe this. Jesus like appeared on the road to Emmaus and he broke bread with us and he prayed with us. And they're like, like we saw the, the, the nail scars. They saw the fresh wounds in and, and verse 36. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace to you. Listen, I want to give you two takeaways this morning. I want to give you two lessons this morning. The first one is this. No matter how deep your despair, there is still hope. No matter how deep your despair, there is still hope. Listen, our hope, Christian hope, biblical hope, our hope is not based in circumstances but in Jesus Christ. These men were hoping in hope instead of hoping in Jesus. Their hope was tied to a result. Their hope was tied to a circumstance. They had hope in a result, and their hope was dashed. I mean, fact is, when you look at that word, when it says, but, but we had hope, that word in the Greek, hope, is a word, elpizo. Elpizo means this. It means to, be, to have confidence in a result. In other words, at this point, their hope was in hope. Listen, that's why, that's why so many people are discouraged. That's why so many people are depressed, because they, they have hope in hope. I hope I have a good marriage. I hope I get a good job. I hope I get more money in the, in the bank account. I hope I get healthy. I hope my loved one doesn't die. I hope my child comes back. And so, Listen, let me tell you something. When it's hope in hope, and the results don't turn out the way you expect them to be, you will be discouraged. And a lot of times it's just hope and hope that we're, we're, we're hoping for a result. But that's not the hope that the Bible teaches about. The, the hope that the Bible teaches about is this, is that our hope is anchored in the person of Jesus Christ. Our hope is anchored to the completed, comprehensive, finished work of Jesus Christ. Where is my hope? I hope your hope isn't in circumstances. My hope is 100% in the fact that Jesus Christ did conquer sin, did conquer death, and did conquer the grave, and he has made a way for us to have an intimate, real, personal relationship with God and have forgiveness of sin, that all of my sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. And they've been totally covered, and they've been completely removed. That is my hope. And so if I go through difficult circumstances and they don't turn out the way that I expect, I still have hope because my hope isn't in circumstances. In this life, our hope has to go much deeper than circumstances. My hope is in the eternal, finished work of Jesus Christ because that is where I'm going to spend eternity. It's the ultimate message for those who follow Jesus. Listen, we're not preaching a message that you'll never go through hurt, you'll never go through pain, you'll never go through difficult circumstances. We do not make our relationship with God about temporal things. On the road to Emmaus, these two guys were, were depressed. They were downcast, is what the Scripture says, because they had lost hope. But once they met Christ, once they met the risen Christ, they headed back to Jerusalem, and they're totally different. Circumstances still the same. And they're totally different. They're filled with joy and they're filled with hope and they're filled with expectation. 
When our hope is anchored in Jesus, we have hope regardless of our circumstances. I have hope that is greater than my circumstances. That is the hope that we preach. See, I, I can't predict to you and I can't guarantee you that everything will work out for you and your life will be perfect and you'll never go through problems. But I can guarantee you this, that there is a Father, there is a God, and Jesus Christ will stick closer to you than a brother. He'll stick closer to you than a spouse. He'll stick closer to you than any brother. He'll stick closer to you than any lover. He'll stick closer to you than any friend. And that he will never leave you nor forsake you regardless of what you walk through. That is the, the guarantee we make every single weekend at our community. That there is a God who loves you. There is a God who cares for you. There is a God who has forgiven you of every sin that you've ever done when you're in Christ. That is the hope that we talk about. That is genuine biblical hope. Let me ask you this. Are you walking the road to Emmaus? You may ask, where is Emmaus? Emmaus is that place that you go trying to escape from your circumstances. It may be an addiction. It may be a place. It may be a hobby. It may be your work. It may be a relationship. It may be whatever. But Emmaus is that place that you're going to try to escape from your circumstance. Is that is, if that is you, if you're walking on a road to Emmaus, would you look up this morning and would you see the risen Savior? That Jesus was so gracious. I mean, Jesus was so gracious to these men. That he didn't condemn them because they didn't get it. Romans 8.1, my favorite scripture in scripture. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation with Jesus. Jesus, in other words, this. Jesus puts no condemnation on us. Why? Because of the seven statements. And one of the seven statements that he makes on the cross when he said, it is finished. I mean, we'd have to ask ourselves, what is finished? What is finished? Your sin is finished. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen, let me tell you something. Once you accept him, once God makes you right, you can never be wrong again. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And there's a period. You notice that? That's not a comma, except, or but. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, period. I mean, condemnation will tell you that it is worthless, that it is pointless, that you don't deserve this, you don't even belong, you're a hypocrite. Uh, people that are suffering for, for condemnation, they believe their feelings, what their feelings tell them, their circumstances tell them. They believe what their emotions tell them. They, they believe what their neighbors tell them. They believe their circumstances instead of the reality that they have in Jesus Christ. But the Bible tells us this, that guess what? Romans 8.1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, condemnation is a shame that condemns and that you'll never amount to anything. You'll never be forgiven. But Jesus Christ obliterated all of that. And he removed that and he destroyed that with his broken and his bleeding body on the cross. And when Jesus said this on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only answer to that question that we've been given in Scripture is this, is Jesus was forsaken so you could be accepted. Jesus was forsaken so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be accepted, so you would be received. And the good news of Jesus Christ that he has offered us is he has offered a way, not by performance, not by pedigree, not by knowledge, but by trust in Jesus Christ, that whosoever believes, 
whosoever believeth. If you will accept him, if you will receive him, the last principle, last takeaway is this. No matter how disoriented your life, invite Jesus in. No matter how disoriented your life, invite Jesus in. These two men were, were confused because of their circumstances and their situations. But when they invited Jesus in and they understood the risen Savior and what he had done for them on the cross, the scripture says their lives were changed. And once you see his son and his glory, what he has done for you, then you, you have to make a decision. Jesus won't force himself on you. He didn't force himself on these men. It's to see, to believe, to receive, or not. They believed in Jesus, and they received him for the forgiveness of their sins, and they were made right. Listen, this, this is why we gather. This is why we have one another. This is why the two men went back to Jerusalem. What the Bible says is, is after they had that conversation, they worship together and we get together in community week in and week out and part of our service we encourage one another we minister to one another see we're not connecting to petty results we're connecting when we worship we're connecting to eternity and when condemnation comes and we worship we encourage one another we remind each other of who we are in Christ, that God has forgiven you and that God is pleased with you and you're totally and completely forgiven. Listen, this is why on the first day of the church, when the church was birthed in the book of Acts, 3,000 people accepted and became Christians that day. This is why over the next 24-hour period in the world, 70,000 people will become followers of Christ. I mean, this is no accident. This is anything, there isn't anything better in the world than what we preach. We preach Jesus, that you can, you can just come as you are. And all it takes is that when you see him and, 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 and you see him as he is and you accept him and you receive him, that your journey begins. And when your journey begins, you move from I need to, I have to, I should, I've got to, to where you move to, you want to, you get to, you love to, it's a privilege to. Because you're in, a, you're in this love relationship with Jesus Christ because you understand what he has done for you. And you understand that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father without him. The resurrection, listen, the resurrection, Easter, is something that we just don't celebrate one day a year. It's a reality every day in every way in our life. And Jesus says, I have come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. Listen, that's what changed my life. I mean, when you look at this, what choice do you have? A life of hopelessness, a life of loneliness, a life of no meaning. Listen, your circumstances may not change. But I pray you leave here different. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ, I always have hope. And I get to live a condemnation-free life. It is the goodness of God that brings people to repentance. God, you are so good that I get to give to you. I get to serve you. I get to live for you. I, I get to live a holy life. And I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit would reveal himself to you in a real, in a fresh 
way. Listen, it's not about you taking my word. It's not about you connecting with me. It's about you connecting with God. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through him. Our worship team is going to begin making their way up. And I'm just going to ask you, as the worship team is making their way up, to lead us in one more song. I'm going to ask you, if you wouldn't mind, would you just bow your heads when, when you close your eyes? The only reason we ask for your heads bowed and eyes closed is, is just because we, we're just so easy, easily distracted in, in our society, and especially in a room this size. And so I'm just going to ask you, I'm just going to ask you, have you seen him? Do you believe in him? And have you received him? Have you accepted him? If you haven't, if there hasn't ever come a place in your life where you accepted him to come into the, your life for the forgiveness of your sin, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Just in your seat, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. Just it, This is between you and him. If you have never accepted him, would you just ask him, say, dear Jesus, I, I understand who you are. I understand that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through you. And dear Jesus, I, w- I want to ask that you would forgive me of my sin. And I want to start this journey with you. And I want to develop a relationship with you. So my hope is in you. And not in my situation and not in my circumstances. Maybe there's some of you here this morning. And you're dealing with condemnation. You know what, if we're not careful, we'll condemn ourselves. Our friends will condemn us. They don't mean to. It's just kind of sometimes how we are naturally. Self-condemnation is a difficult thing. Self-condemnation says, I don't deserve it. I'm not good enough. But maybe today your next step would be this, to understand that in Christ... There's therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You can live a condemnation-free life. Maybe you're struggling this morning with some discouraging circumstances. And maybe your hope has been in hope. Maybe your hope has been tied to a circumstance. Maybe your hope has been tied to a result. And you've you've had this confidence that that this is how it's going to play out. This is how it's going to turn out. And, And you've realized it may not turn out that way. And your hope has been dashed. Would you place your hope in Christ? Would you understand that our hope as a believer is tied to the finished work of Jesus Christ? Regardless what happens in these temporal years, when we're in Christ, our hope is anchored behind the veil. Our hope is anchored to Him. Father, we thank You for today. Father, we thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace. And Father, we just thank you for your goodness. That we're just able just to come together and to worship together. To encourage one another. For we understand who we are in Christ. And there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Father, I pray this morning people are making decisions to follow you for the very first time. 
People are making decisions no longer to place their hope in circumstances, but to place their hope in you. People are being released of condemnation. And they understand that when you make us right, we can never be wrong. That we have the righteousness of Christ. Father, we ask that this be a spiritual moment and people would know that they have met with you this 